Listener Production. Shares, Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special Sunday Mailbag Edition. Special, not only because it's Sunday. Special, not only because Andrew Ram Page is here, but special because it's actually right now a Tuesday. And we're pre-recording this because I'm on holidays. I know I've said that before, I'm going to say it again. Uh, if you want something absolutely current up to date, we are not the podcast for you until uh, maybe next week or the week after. But we are putting, anyway in particular, putting the hard yards in to get some episodes done in advance for our listeners. We hope you enjoy it. We don't want thanks or anything. Just, just, I just want you to know that we're doing it in advance. So if there's anything breaking news-wise recently, that's why we're not talking about it. We're just, uh, we're not here. Well, Andrew's here. I'm not here. Uh, I'm sure the world will go on regardless, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. We will find it after you, put it that way. Yeah, mate. Well, you know, um, I think as an investor, you've got to have a think about time preference. So I do appreciate yes. the thanks. But honestly, the way I'm looking at it is we just do a little bit more work now and then and then there's a, a break to be had later on. So it's like <laughs> investing, right? Bit of I pain like now, there you go. longer term return. What do you mean pain? Come well, on, that, be nice. Pain. I was giving you, I was giving you, I was giving you a wrap and all of a sudden you want to actually don't want to use painful, Phillips. I'm glad you're going away. Sorry, I just, I just want to mean more, the more work, sort of, you, you front load the work, right? And uh, I've well, always been- as you like to say. Yeah, yeah. Pain. Yeah. Let me rephrase. <laughs> oh, no, that's too late for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, mate, uh, speaking of time preference, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to editorialize very quickly at the beginning because we like a tangent. I just, I just want to add, I've, I've been asked this before and I've talked about this before. I'm going go, to go away for three and a half-ish weeks. Uh, we're gonna. We basically got three weeks off. Uh, we drop. We, we're driving up to Uluru, doing doing the uh, Red Centre Way or the old Marini Loop. Uh, then we're dropping. I'm going out with a mate and with their family. Uh, we're gonna drop the kids and and our wives at the airport. They're gonna fly back, and then we're gonna spend the four or five days driving back from Uluru. Right, it's hardcore driving. Get the kids back in time for school. I'm not sure when I'm gonna be back. It's gonna be some time during that fourth week. So uh, we're gonna assume it's it's about four weeks off. But the bigger, the bigger thing I want to talk about, and the reason I mentioned that is because you mentioned time preference. It just reminded me. Not, it's not actually about time preference at all, except that people ask me, oh, well, you got to see your whole portfolio in case something happens while you're gone. I'm like, no. Well, how are you going to keep an eye on it? I'm just not. What if something happens? Well, then it happens and it's going to be the way these things go. And I just wanted to mention that, not, because, not for any other, I mean, I'm not saying it's right for everybody. I'm not saying you should do it, blah, blah, blah. I just honestly could not care about those four weeks. Because something great might happen as well. You know, what if I sell them something great happens? It's, it's always that downside risk of what if something bad happens? Well, if it happens, it happens. Honestly, mm-hmm. if it happens and I'm here, what am I going to do? Probably nothing. <laughs> Same as if I'm not here uh, in yeah. both directions. So I just, just want to flag that for, for those who are wondering, those who like to obsess about their minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, week by week portfolio results. If this is, I hope it's at least a, a bit of a, you know, a worked example, as I said in, in maths at school, of you know, this is this is how I invest. I'm going to stay invested. I'll be fully invested. Uh, I might get paid at some point while I'm away because I'm away for almost a month and that money might sit there for a bit and I'll invest it when I get back. But I just want to make the point, not, again, not, not looking for credit, not, not pretending I'm superhuman or, or anything, just making the point for anyone who cares and for the talk about long-term investing, how much do I really believe in it? I believe in it as much, <laughs> so much. I'm going to hold everything I own over that period of time. And when I get back and go, oh, that's interesting. Here's the last quick bit, mate, just quickly. I will get back. And look at the shares, and I would imagine almost without exception, I won't actually remember whether they're up or down on what I saw four weeks ago. Because I don't know what the price of my share. I don't care enough. Like I just, mm. I just don't. I own fifteen-ish different ASX companies. I kind of roughly could guess at what the share price is now, but it'd be in like you know, I own shares in Adair, uh, Adairs, and 
I can't remember the price. I think a door beauty somewhere between one and two dollars. I'm not being silly. Like I genuinely don't know because I genuinely don't care. It's just not something I worry about. So for what it's worth, as I said, I'll get back and go, eh, portfolio is still there. That's nice. And just get on with doing what I'm doing next, which is finding the next best investment idea. I just wanted to, to throw yep. that out there, mate, because it's a bit of a, a real life example of, of the sort of approach I've talked about before. Mm. Well, I think the mistake is really to imagine that even if you were here, you could do something about it. <laughs> That's exactly it. Yes. You know, exactly. like the, the reality is, yep. if it, I mean, you're, you're either talking, I mean, what you're inferring there is something like really bad news, you know, which yeah. is causing, you know, there'll, there'll be some, there's different, there's a, there's a spectrum here, right? <laughs> so you can talk about differences of, of yep. degrees. Yep. But generally speaking, when something really bad happens, the announcement comes out outside of hours. Mm-hmm. Shares mm-hmm. are placed in a trading halt, yeah, exactly. and when they resume trade, they're down thirty percent. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. what? What did you think you were going to do? Now, <laughs> you've got more information, and maybe you can act to sort of sell before losses mm-hmm. get worse, mm-hmm. and all of that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. But you know, really, the most of the damage gets done pretty, pretty uh-huh. instantly. And and so I just I and sometimes, in fact, it can be good not being there because you totally. you are more tempted to. That deception of action, I need to do something mm-hmm. when a lot oftentimes not really, you know, it's sort of like um it, it'll 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 work itself out in the end or not. But either either way, it's sort of like if you're gonna jump at every shadow, mm-hmm. uh you tend not you tend to sort of sell yourself out of the big multi-year compounders as well as as the ones that deserve to be sold out. And it's not always a productive endeavor. So yeah, I, I hear what you're mate. saying. Well, I I'm less I'm less I'll just add on to that. I'm less yeah, um Sanguine, I suppose, than yeah, you. Cool. I, I'm not. I'm not checking my share price while I'm on holidays or anything mm-hmm. like that. But it's just like I think it comes to the point of just like what your general interests are anyway. If I'm just retired or not doing anything, mm-hmm. like I'll, I'll probably have a squiz of the of the news <laughs> over my morning coffee. <laughs> oh sure, and, yeah, totally, totally. You know, and and if there's something that yeah. that is yeah. that is genuinely no, actually, Scott, this is something you've got to do. It's like, well, this is the beauty of the modern era, right? I can pull out my little magic piece of glass and tap, tap, tap. And actually do something if I need to. Yeah. I don't have to be staring in, at the screen and refreshing every five seconds to do mm-hmm. that. Just so we're clear, mate, the magic piece of glass is your phone, not an actual piece of glass you have that you just kind of think is magic. Right? It, it's a magic piece of glass. With and just, just, make, just make sure we're not talking about some weird you know, magic piece of glass you carry around that you show your wife. Say, Look, honey, a piece of magic glass, it's not really. That's kind of what it is though, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's a cool you know, it's a, what, What's the saying is like... Um, you know, technology is indistinguishable from magic at a certain yeah, level of sophistication. Right. And if you were to show this from someone a hundred years ago, yeah, it's a magic piece of glass. Can I can I throw in my favorite meme I've seen recently? Not meme, but quote slash funny thing, whatever it is. It's like science. It's like magic, but real. <laughs> I love it. Which I quite liked. All right, Isn't let's get on brilliant. with questions from our listeners because it's not well. I like to pretend it's not about me. So let's let's keep pretending. Uh, here's one from Dan who says, "G'day, Scott and Ram. I have a question regarding overlapping stocks within my portfolio." General advice only, of course. Thank you, Dan. But more specifically, I own shares in both Adairs and Temple and Webster. And I like both companies. That being said, due to them being within the same sector and country, as well as competing for a very similar market share, am I just betting on heads and tails at the same time? Having said that, as far as I'm aware, Berkshire Hathaway bought their shares in both Visa and MasterCard at the same time. But also, I'm not Warren Buffett. Nor do these either of these companies have the same sort of moat as Visa or Mastercard. Is this overlap something worth considering? Thanks a lot, Dan. Mate, I love this question. There's two parts of overlap here. One is they're competing, so betting on heads and tails. The other is if they're in the same sector, in the same market, in the same country, is he kind of you know is he taking on undue concentration? Your your thoughts on those two questions? 
I think it is something to think about, but something not to overthink. Uh, you know, mm. those businesses will have their own merits. They will be subject to the same kind of macro headwinds and tailwinds as, as retailers are. Mm. They're not exactly the same kind of businesses. You know, there's, there's absolute differences there as well. Mm. So if we're talking about two positions out of 20 that might combine up to 5%, no, nah, I'm not going to lose any sleep over that or overthink it too much. If it turns out that those two combined or just as my general exposure to particular one particular area was more meaningful, I don't know, I'll make up a number 30, 40% plus, it becomes a much more significant consideration. But I am, um, I'm very much a bottom-up stock picker. I mean, I look at the businesses first and then the, the broader where we are in the cycle considerations are very sort of tertiary and, and, and usually not much <laughs> to, to, to the way of thinking. And if, if I've looked at each of these individual businesses and I think they've got a good case and combined they're not like really distorting the weighting of the portfolio, hell yeah, nothing wrong with that at all. I love that, mate. I can't add much to it actually. I, uh, it's a couple of things I think for me. It depends on your investment thesis. If you're, if you, in, in any, let's say two different companies for the sake of it. If your deal is, hey, there's going to be one big winner in this industry, I'm going to try and find that winner. Mm. If, if you're right about the thesis, then buying two businesses when only one's going to win would be potentially counterproductive. On the other hand, if it's likely to be one big winner, but you don't know which one it is, only two can actually be useful. If, I, if you'd have bought um, MySpace plus Facebook plus schoolfriends.com plus whatever plus whatever and said social media is going to be huge i don't know which one's going to win and so i'm going to I'm, but, I, but i think one's going to and i'm going to buy them all that would have turned out really really nicely now if you've done the same with um what's a, what's a dead industry buy now pay later mm-hmm. yeah probably not so much right so so you've got to be right about the outcome if, you, if you're going to take an industry-wide view or have a view like that and you're saying there's one big winner or or the whole sector is going to boom then that the, you know, what is the thesis is my, is my key question. The other is when it comes to the thesis, the other part of that is kind of the same question, but what are you expecting to happen to justify your investment dollars? If you had an industry where, and for example, let's say you believe Ayers and Temple and Webster are both seriously undervalued and all the market has to do is kind of, you know, recover its senses and both those businesses will be worth more in future because they're just being way too pessimistically viewed right now, then both can recover almost independently of the business's results themselves because sentiment changes. So if you would take a, a very you know, deep value idea, buy something at a P of six, wait, look, it's a P of nine. You could do that with both these companies. And, and if, they, if you're right about both, because the sector simply gets re-rated, horrible word I hate to use, but if the market says, hey, actually we're too pessimistic on retail generally, you might do well with both those companies. So again, holding both isn't necessarily a problem. I'll give you a very specific example at ShareAdvisor. I'm happy to give a couple of picks away. We've recommended as buyers both Harvey Norman and JB Hi-Fi. Now you say, well, hang on, you know, aren't they in the same? Are they the big gorillas in the same industry? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think they will continue to take modest amounts of share from their smaller rivals. I think they're both. They both were on single-digit PEs. I'm pretty sure we recommended them. I'm pretty sure they're roughly the same now. Um, and I think both are being, you know, hated on by the market. I think they're both going to be okay. One might, I think JB Hi-Fi will do better than Harvey in the, uh, over the long term, frankly, from, from here, in terms of growth from here. But they're both on a P of less than 10. Harvey Norman's dividend yield is like 8%. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy. We, I, don't, I own Harvey. I don't own JB, but we've talked about this before. Um, but in that case, you know, owning both is completely fine. So if, if I'm right. Now, if, if, if the only return that comes from these companies is one of them wins, then I'm going to do my dough investing in one rather than the other. If both are too cheap and they both become less cheap over time because the market realizes what I think is a mistake, then I'll be completely fine. 
So that's kind of how I think about that for me. There are times when you don't want to own both. If, if one has to win, the other has to lose, uh, unless you don't know which one's going to win. Uh, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry too much about it. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the common thing, well, there's a bit of overlap, but the, the common theme real, really here, I think fundamentally, is these are both businesses that do really well um, when the housing market is doing well. Yeah. And there's a lot of turnover in housing. You're moving house upgrading, whatever. You, there's just a lot of new furniture and mm. decor and stuff you need. Plus you've got the whole wealth effect thing. So that's, it's, I feel as though you need to have a bit of a view on that to not mm. base it on your decision, but just, just to keep that in mind that now I know, I mean, I, I actually, we've spoken before. It comes a point where it's like, you can factor in some bad news and it's like, well, mm. it's kind of still cheap uh, after <laughs> yeah. that. So yeah. I don't, I don't want to suggest that, that you, you should or shouldn't hold either of these, these two companies. O only that it's just something to be one of the things to, to be mindful of. There's general sort of retail and what happens during depressed times in terms of sentiment, what people are spending. That's ve very much true here, but it's sort of more, it's the more, more narrowly defined by what the the broader property market is doing, and we've seen mm. we've seen that play out with these businesses in, in the in the past. So just yeah, something to think about. Nicely done. Um, I'll add only very quickly to that. My view on these. I, so I own a dares. I should have disclosed earlier, by the way. My apologies for not doing that upfront. Um, I own a dares. I own Harvey Norman. Uh, my view is that whatever happens in, economically in the next eighteen months, in five years' time, we'll look back and go, "Huh, got through that." And these businesses are still successful and strong and and valuable and and worth more than the market was pricing them for in mid 2023 now i might be wrong about that but that's my that's my thought i'm not too worried about what happens next i'm more focused on what happens after that yeah hey, um, 100, one, i mean 100 uh, that's a very good point yeah i know i'm not saying you're wrong by the way i was just, I was just giving that as a as, a, as an approach uh, yep. one from simon who says dear scott and ram formerly known as the roy and hg of investing now soon to be recognized as the han solo and chewbacca of the <laughs> investing universe i'll let you decide says simon who is who? <laughs> well, you put your hand up for one of those two? Well, there's an easier choice there, I've got to say. Um, yeah, I mean, but I'm not going to go there. <laughs> Better than the Luke and Princess Leia, isn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> not really a question, says Simon, but more a topic for discussion. The Future Fund has gone back to hiring active fund managers. Exclamation mark, adds Simon. If 80% of active fund managers have underperformed the index over the last 5, 10 or 15 year periods... What is the rationale behind this decision? Love to hear your thoughts. Cheers, Simon. Put your future fund hat on for a second. Uh, former treasurer Costello still chairs that, I believe. Um, they sit around the table and go, you know what, guys? I think it's time to go active again. And Simon's like, well, hang on. If four out of five don't beat the market, why would you do that? What, mm. what is the answer, Ram? Well, they just pick the one out of five that does really well. And, <laughs> and that's, that's how you, you rationalize it. Hashtag sarcasm. Yeah, well, I mean, they, 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 it would be part of a diversification strategy. I, I'd have to look into it more, but there'd mm. be something in the mandate that says there's so much passive, there's so much towards this, there's so much towards that. There's flexibility around that, but it ultimately mm -hmm. does come back to the investment committee and their, their view. And the view is clearly that we need to take some more exposure to direct equity management uh, because we think it's a good investment. Are they right? I don't know. I mean, I would I would tend to err uh, on the more passive side for something of that that kind of scale and importance. Mm. Um, but that I'm sure if you had Peter Costello here, that's what he would say. It's like, well, that is that is true. But these are very good quality fund managers, and it's a certain portion of our portfolio, and we think it appro provides an appropriate mix. I'm almost certain that'd be the answer. 
I don't think you're wrong. And I, so a couple of things. I have a feeling they might be suspecting that in a rising market, you can afford to own the market. In a falling market, you want to try and pick stocks. I think it's fallacious thinking, but I, I would suspect they may have some sort of view around that potentially. Um, the paradox of investing is this. Uh, I'm going to try and refine this in trade market at some point. We all should index, but some of us can beat the market. <laughs> you say, how can that be true at the same time? Mm. And, and Buffett has made this point before. If you took every investor in the world, the, every investor in the world is going to, by definition, get the return of the stock market. So adding so-called helpers in between there who take a cut of that, mean the overall investing, every investor together, the entire investing group, universe, cohort, whatever you call us all, uh, if you got us all in the MCG, and we all sat around and said, hey, we can all earn $100 million this year together. Uh, I'm sure it's much larger than that, but let's go with that number. And then we say, so, but what we'll do is, why don't we all go and pay some fund managers instead? And then when they leave, we'll have $90 million to share between us. You look at it and go, why would you do that? Who's stupid enough? Like, we'll just take the whole 100 million, thanks very much. Mm. The problem is, and that's, so that's absolutely true. Help, the, the helpers, the air quotes helpers, by the way, uh, Ram takes money for, for helping investors talk to each other. Um, we take money for helping investors find market-beating stocks. It's what we do, uh, hopefully market-beating stocks. So we're, 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 you know, not, we're in the helper you know, category to some degree, varying degrees. Um, so we all should just index. The problem is some people also beat the market and they beat the market because some people lose to the market because the average is the average. So that's the challenge, right? And the problem is like, <laughs> let's play it our favorite driving analogy Ram. 90% of us think we're above average drivers. No fund manager says, or well, maybe a couple of really, really cynical bastards out there. The rest of us say, I reckon I'm good enough to beat the market. I'm going to beat the other guy. And the other guy says, I'm going to beat that guy. And so on and so on, it goes round and round around the circles until you end up with the situation we end up with. And this is why it's a paradox, Simon, because you, you know, if, if it's true that everyone should index, I should give up the job, return my members money and say, just index, you're better off, right? So far, over the last dozen or so years, Motley Fool Share Advisor, our longest running service is beating the market. We've added value for our members by picking stocks. Now, if that stops being the case, they should cancel their memberships and go on invest in an ETF. But for now, at least, we're adding value. Now, if we're beating the market, someone else is losing to the market, they should give up. And that, that around and around we go. So that's the paradox of investing when it comes to ETFs. If they could find, now we should say 80% of fund, active fund managers, the number varies, lose to the market, largely not because of their inability to invest, but because of the fees they charge. Mm. Now, if you're the future fund, you can probably get much, much lower fees. So maybe in your own portfolio, it comes down from 80 to something else because you simply reduce the fees, which by the way is the hint there too. Don't pay more fees than you have to. Mm. Um, so that, that's part of it. Uh, it may be they do find the right investors or they want to do that. I've got to say, Simon, my personal view is the bigger your investment pool, the more you should index, almost by definition. Mm. Because the ability to move large sums of money and be right often enough. And if you're right sometimes and wrong other times, net, net, if you roll it all together, there's a great investment manager. And I want to say, he's in, is he in um, Nevada Ram or Omaha? One of those places, not Buffett. Um, the state pension fund is run by one bloke who just indexes. That's <laughs> what he does. For, yeah. it's, like, it's a one-man investment committee. I think he works with two or three other people. Mm. Other, other people have rooms and rooms and rooms and rooms and floors and offices of, of, of highly paid investment professionals. This guy's like, I'm just going to, 
just an index. That's all yeah. I need to do. Yeah. Um, I, I honestly think the future fund should index. I really, really do. Is that, yep. is that you know, talking about both sides of my mouth? I don't think so. I think most super funds should index, particularly large super funds. I think most individual super funds should index because unless you bring something new to the table, don't do it. Yeah. But if you if you can beat the market, then you should because you're mad not to. But bear in mind, if you beat the market, someone else is going to lose and you want to be in the right half of that equation. And it's not just half, by the way, but you know that idea, you want to be in, the, in that half. So why are they doing it? Honestly, my view is if your job, if you are the future fund and your job is to invest well, the hubris that comes with that means you've got to prefer active management almost by definition because you're going to believe you're adding value so therefore you can hire fund manager to add value and if none of you add value you've got to accept you can't add value and you have to give it up and go do something else and no one at the future funds going to do that no one at most super funds are going to do that that's why i love this bloke in the u.s i should find that article again who's just gone this is silly i'm just going to index and have meetings and make sure the and, books are and outperform the most of my right peers. Right, exactly. Yeah. So that that that'd be my best guess, mate. It's a long answer, but that's that's my thought. Yeah, any, I, I think kind of. I, I would add this. Let's say that um, former treasurer Costello says, "I am hyper bullish on I don't know Tesla." Yeah, and there's a lot of liquidity there. It's a, it's a big stop. Maybe not enough to absorb the future fund, but go with me here and just puts it all <laughs> in, all in. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And let's say that it doubles from there. <laughs> now, <clears throat> that decision with the benefit of hindsight was one that created immense wealth for our country that we've now we've now doubled the future fund right it's going to pay for a lot of liabilities and pensions and obligations that's fantastic but it was still a dumb thing to do right like you can't you can't um uh what's there's a word for this and i'm i'm just drawing a blank at the moment but you 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 can't base the quality of the decision on the outcome because there's plenty of parallel universes where it drops by 50 percent the stakes are too high given the importance of this fund so i think a prudent operator says i will intentionally not go for gold here i'm not i'm not going to try and shoot the lights out because the risks are too great even if i get it right there will have been an element of luck there and we keep saying investing is is probabilistic here so that's why i agree with you and this is the beauty of the etfs or the, the indexing approach is mm-hmm. that well you're guaranteed not to outperform but yeah. you're also guaranteed that's not right. to underperform either and that's yeah. the key that yeah. is the key 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 thing Correct. and uh and then and then yeah the costs that are associated with it it's a no-brainer it is a no-brainer the only real um uh I guess input should be the the overall asset class allocation. There's probably a lot. In fact, there is a lot to be said for all of that. But for whatever you decide, we want gold or we want property or we want this mm-hmm. index as, as best as you can. And you'll get a very average return. But that sounds like, oh, it's a very average. No, aver- yeah, the average is good. Right. The average tends you, to be you'll pretty be good. You'll be 80% of actually fund managers who after you paid fees. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so I agree. Yeah. Mate, so one from Leah who says, Dear Scott and Andrew, as a newbie investor, I've been learning so much from your podcast. Thanks, Leah. Uh, as I'm building my portfolio, an issue is continuing to circle around in my mind. Can you please help clarify some investing theory for me? As I understand it, there are growth ETFs and there are dividend ETFs. If someone wants to see the value of their stocks increase, growth ETFs should do this. If someone wants a passive income stream, dividend ETFs would be the way to go. Or someone could use the DRP, the Dividend Reinvestment Plan, with dividend producing ETFs, which will also produce growth over the long term. I want to generate a passive income stream to use in a decade's time. And I've invested in growth ETFs with dividend reinvestment set up for any that provide a dividend. When it's time for stocks to generate a passive income, should growth stocks be sold and higher dividend producing stocks be purchased? A capital gains tax would be paid in this case. 
She says, my plan is to hold for a year before selling for a discount on the capital gains. Is it possibly better to invest in high dividend producing stocks with high franking credits and sign up for the DRP right from the start? In that case, there'd be no sale, no tax payable, and then no other purchase would be needed. Thank you for continuing to provide logical, clear, and entertaining information to me and all your other listeners from Leah. Uh, great question, Leah. Mm. Really, really good. Uh, by the way, uh, thank you for, for being a, a listener. Thank you for the great question. I'll throw this one to you first, Ram. It's a tough one. I mean, I really get the appeal of not having to sell. Like, I buy this literally forever. I don't need the income stream now, so I'll reinvest it. I'll get the compounding effects of that. And then when I do need the income stream, I'll just, I'll just kill the plan and I'll, I'll start collecting the cash. No transaction fees, no taxation event on, yep. on, on the capital. Um, the compromises potentially is that maybe, I mean, you've always got to look at total return after tax. Mm. And the, the potential is that even when you account for the tax, the, tra- the transaction fees and the rest of it, if it's a good ETF, you might maybe, you're, maybe you're still better off for doing all of that and then switching it into dividends when, when you need to do it. I mean, who knows, right? You'd be surprised at how much the capital, well, it's not strictly true, but how, how that capital compounds with very low growth companies with good yields though as well. So you can, again, it's not like you're necessarily taking a compromise here. Um, I don't know if you know any stats, mate, on on the relative performance of those two general classes over any meaningful period of time. Mm. I suspect for those that are selected out of, say, the top 300 or something, allowing for the reinvestment, it would have been the growth that just shot the lights out for a few mm. years there now. And, and now... I'd, I'd suspect that maybe the dividend payers uh, with the more value-oriented sort of things get 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 a little bit more in favour. But this, but this is where I've I've ended up very quickly at speculating on mm. on the the yes. preferences of the market. So it's very very difficult. Mm. Um, I would there is a middle path here, which is don't go for a growth ETF and don't go for a dividend ETF. Just go for an index ETF. Yeah, which by definition has the growth and the the you know, and then and then make your you'll still get I think on the average for the ASX still like a three or four percent yield on average. So that's not nothing to, to shirk at. So that's that's one way that's one way to do it. Mm. I love the where you ended up actually there, mate. Um, the, so, so this is a really really. On one level, simple question, either or, what do you reckon? Um, as as our listeners know, you like to say, it depends. I say that because a couple of people have written in recently with calling you Andrew, it depends, Phillips and Scott, <laughs> by definition, Phillips, uh, work on, I'd say Andrew Page, Andrew Phillips. anyway, you got my idea. Um, I, when it comes to ETFs, a couple of thoughts. First is just be careful with growth and dividend ETFs in stylistically, right? Because... I, you, you know, this is, this is not a big deal on this particular question, but listeners know, and Leah, I'm sure you know, my thoughts on thematic ETFs. You pay, you, you're not paying more fees because you want to get the thing they offer. And the ETF providers know that, so they charge you more fees for the thing that they provide. So, you know, if you say I want a passive ETF, they kind of go, well, I guess I've got to charge you low fees for that. When you want a hyper-leveraged gold bear China ETF with bells and whistles and tinsel, they're going to charge you almost full price and, uh, you know, you'll pay managed fee type prices. So managed fund type prices. So just be careful with how, how broadly you stretch the ETF definition when it comes to passive investing. Second thought is similarly, but slightly differently, um, what growth, what, what's growth and what's dividend and, and who decides that, right? Um, so 
conceptually you kind of go okay growth should be better because we get growth and dividends should be better because we get dividends it's also true that over stretches of time which are often up to a decade long certain strategies happen to do better than others because the market just thinks a certain way so it's been a great time to be a growth investor between 07 and about 2021 my growth smashed value in it to the extent you like these terms i don't but to the extent you do when you break it up and go here's one here's the other uh in the last two years value has smashed growth so which is better well you know you got then, just, then you bring timing into the mix and you're talking about a retirement portfolio um you know if you had to sell your growth stocks at point x if you had to sell your growth stocks today and you bought them two years earlier you, you're locking in a pretty significant loss to then transfer across to dividends so once you start to become active in a passive strategy it, it kind of starts to break down a little bit at least conceptually doesn't mean you can't do it, it just means you you're adding more activeness than perhaps you're planning to because you're liking the etfs all of that said, um, the other thing is think about, don't, put this, don't make this a driver of your decision. We've talked about that a lot. But think about the tax implications. So yes, on one hand, you get a capital gains tax discount and any gains, you're selling the growth ETF. On the other hand, you get a tax benefit from the dividends that you might earn in a dividend ETF or even just as Ram says, in a general ETF. You get franking credits, probably in a general ETF in Australia, it must be close to 80% franked, I would speculate, Ram. Um, most mm-hmm. of the miners, but the banks will pay frank dividends. So, you know, it's, it's probably going to be 80, 85% franked. There's tax benefits there as well. Um, and, then, and then, as you say, think about the, the need for income and what you're doing with it. I, I am, so I, part of my portfolio is set up for never sell, which is, Leah, your question, where I bought stuff, and I'll, I'll happily disclose it. I bought some units in the VAS, the Vanguard Australian Shares ETF, which is Ram's exact point before, uh, and sold Pats. That, that part of my portfolio, two companies, um, because I don't want to ever sell them. I hope that not only if I, if I can do a wealth compounding job well enough, not only will they provide income for me through my entire life, reinvested for now and then harvested in retirement, I can then pass them on to my kids not needing to sell the shares. Now, maybe it doesn't happen that way. Maybe I, I splurge or maybe something else happens or I need the money or my investing is no good. Um, but I'm trying to actively in that, in that group of companies actually avoid the capital gains tax event. Why Solpats and why the VAS ETF? Because I don't expect to have to sell them. As a conglomerate, Solpats is kind of protected as long as they don't screw up. And as an ETF, same thing. Now, I wouldn't do that with a, with Woolworths, for example, as much as I love Woolies. I don't know what happens to Woolies in the next 20 years. If at some point I choose to or I'm forced to sell, I have to crystallize a capital gain. So I've just simply said part of my portfolio is the forever, literally the forever portfolio in theory. No, no guarantee, not, not absolutely locked in, but that's the plan. On the other hand, our listeners know I own a whole lot of companies, including some growth stocks that don't pay a dividend currently because I'm hoping that generates value over time. As I get closer to retirement, I think I'll be adding more to that forever part of my portfolio, or at least the dividend part. Uh, but I'll be selling opportunistically rather than not. Now, I don't think I would do that with an ETF. I don't think I would ever buy a, quote, growth ETF. I certainly wouldn't buy a dividend ETF, by the way. And here's the other thing, Leah. Um, they are horribly, horribly concentrated in Australia to a couple of sectors, most particularly banking. Now, banking stocks have great dividend yields, but we've talked so many times about diversification. I assume you know by now our thoughts on that. Uh, suffice it to say, I'm not going to chase yield at the expense of portfolio concentration and extra risk. So honestly, my, you, you do what you do want to do, Leah. If it was me, I wouldn't buy anything labeled growth ETF. And I wouldn't buy an Australian dividend ETF. I might buy a US one if I was in the US, but I'm not. And I like the frank credit, so I, so I wouldn't buy a US dividend ETF. Uh, but I wouldn't buy a dividend ETF. I wouldn't buy a growth ETF. So to Ram's point, I would do a combination of both, buy an average ETF, take the dividends, reinvest them for now, and then and then harvest them at some future point is how I would am thinking about 
that part of my portfolio. Now, I'm also buying individual stocks, which you're not, which is fine. Uh, but that, that's where mine's a little bit different to your proposal. Ram, any more thoughts on that? Oh, just to complicate things a bit more, because why not? <laughs> um, so just while you were talking there, I'm just looking at some various growth and, oh, and nice. yield ETFs. And what's awesome. interesting is that just looking at the various um, ones there, even within that category, the difference mm. in performance is pretty <laughs> right. stark. So you it could becomes, pick a- It becomes active, right? That's the problem. You pick a yield fund because you want a low- cost passive so-called sort of approach to getting yield. I, I pick one. Bo- we both have the same itch. We just scratch yep. it slightly different ways, slightly different products. You know, in one case, I'm up 13% compound over the last three years. You're up 8%. Now, it's not. Mm. It's quite a big difference, actually. And notionally, we're both sort of doing the same kind of thing. I don't want to name names here on the ETFs, but you'll, you'll see mm. it yourself when you start searching various mm. ones. And then there's also something to be said. I mean, I'm just looking at the Vanguard high yield yield one as well. I mean, over the last three years, it's delivered a 33% return. Um, that's pretty good. That's not bad. The uh, the high growth one, if you just focused on one, that, again, it's a question of definitions, but one that came up was the one that focused just on the all technology sort of index in Australia. Mm. It's only done 8% over that period. So that's not what you would expect. Again, it, exactly. but, it's three, it, but it's three years. You know, we, we could be having this conversation a couple of years ago or a year and a half ago. I'm just saying, whoa, the technology one has just thumped anything else whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, it just gets all very, very difficult. You'll know in 10 years exactly which one was the best one to buy, which is why I kind of land with you. Just, just go for the average passive ultra low cost one. And then as and when your circumstances change, make, make, make the, the appropriate differences. Yep. Changes. I, I think that's right. I think that's right. No, I think that's right. And, you know, my, as I said, I, I love passive ETFs. Once you start make, once you start adding anything in front of the word ETF, <laughs> growth, you know, it, dividend, cyber security, gold, defensive, progressive, leveraged, any of those words, once you add those words, what you're really adding is, is a three-letter word, F-E-E. Mm-hmm. They're, gonna, they're finding ways to charge you more by adding activeness to the ETF, which is not at all what you're looking for. So, yeah. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. All right, let's get one from Justin, mate. Uh, he says, hello, scrammers. It's apparently some sort of portmanteau of Scott and Ram, I suppose. <laughs> Shout out to you both for all the time and energy that goes into making genuinely helpful material. Thank you, mate. I find it to be a breath of free, very logical fresh air in this age of information overload. The last three years... Have taught me, oh dear, have taught me loads from first principles up. Well, that's good. I started by investing a dollar into an ETF every time Scott said, by definition. <laughs> and whenever Ram would say, uh, raisin, was it, was it raisin, raisin de trois? Raison d'etre. Raison d'etre, yeah. thank you, raison d'etre. Yeah, it is now worth $700 million and compounding away nicely. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. Yeah, exactly. Well, Justin, just, uh, we, we have a commission on that, by the way. I'm yeah. answering the call out for mailbag questions. So here's go. He goes, I know you have touched on it before, but can you guys please do a more comprehensive analysis of the pros and cons of investing in stocks inside a discretionary trust? I understand one major drawback is the additional accounting costs, but if one already has a trust set up, these costs would largely be in play already. What are the other considerations one would need to be aware of? I understand you're not accountants, but I have a fair idea of what my accountant would say, i.e. barber slash haircut, et cetera. <laughs> Keep up the good work. Cheers. Justin, uh, the, the quote, of course, Justin referring to, for those who don't know, is never ask the barber if you need a haircut. Uh, the inference, of course, because you'll say, yes, of course, I'm a barber. That's what I do. So, um, mate, I don't use a discretionary trust, but you've mentioned it before. Um, 
do you want to just quickly do it? We won't do a comprehensive analysis, Justin, I have to say. That would require more tax knowledge than we have. And frankly, we wouldn't hold ourselves out as, as being able to provide a comprehensive analysis. But mate, what are the pros and cons as far as you're aware? The pros aren't as pro as they used to be. And yeah. although that sort of disadvantages those that have a trust, and I've got all my shares in a family trust that we set up. Actually, the 10-year anniversary will be November of this year. Hey, um, I don't think it's actually helped me too much. And the reason okay. it was done in the yesteryear was because my pet rabbit could earn some money and my three-year-old could earn <laughs> some money. And, you know, I could sort of split, I could take advantage of various free, free ta- thresholds, tax-free mm. thresholds. Gosh, try and get that out. Um, this, have, this all sort of got clamped down, rightly so, uh, well before <laughs> I set up my trust. But I, just, someone at the time convinced me, you know, it gives you more flexibility. Mm-hmm. There, there are legitimate things you can do. It will come more into its own when the kids get older. And I just, yeah. I really just sort of like, it's the trust that makes all the money mm. uh, and must distribute any profits at the end of the year. But I've got, I've got control over who gets it. So some years, because of our, our specific circumstances, I'm starting up a business startup and all of this kind of stuff. A lot of years there, I had zero income. So guess what? The trust gave me all the distributions <laughs> for that year. Yeah. And then yeah. in, in years where I've paid myself, well, that's not, it makes as much sense. So it gives you, it gives you flexibility around that. Now it costs money to set up and it costs money every year because I've got to get it audited. I've got to get separate mm-hmm. accounts filed and the rest of it. And it can be significant. Um, so I, 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 I generally think actually, you know, it's it's depending. I, I'm going to say it, but it depends, right? It depends on your <laughs> unit. dollar in the fund. Yeah, it, it just it depends on on your personal situation. This is where an accountant's going to be invaluable. And yes, they might have a bias to want to sort of set one up for you because it's something they can charge a fee on. But just ask the mm. question. You don't have to follow mm. the advice. But why, why, Mister Accountant, Mrs. Accountant, would I want to do this for? And they'll be able to give you actually really good answers far beyond what I'm capable of giving. But I would say, in my own experience, it's. I don't think it's actually been worth the cost and effort so far for me. Okay. I uh, I don't know well enough, uh, Ram. I, I, I'll throw just a couple other thoughts. Uh, first is you can use a trust for asset protection, uh, so that any if you happen to be in a business where. Uh, you're likely to get sued by customers or for whatever other reason. If Andrew is sued, the assets of his trust are separate to Andrew personally. So they can take his house and his computer and his hat, but they can't take his, the shares that are in his trust. Um, so there's that. It, it does, as you point. say, mate, let you mm-hmm. distribute the income as you choose to, which is useful sometimes. Even the adult kids thing, that they're only going to be in a low bracket and happy to have a distribution from your trust for tax benefit for only a certain number of years till they work themselves. And it's like, hey, mm-hmm. kids, can I use you as a tax dodge? No, thanks, Dad. I'm, I'm happy to, mm-hmm. you know, I'm earning my own money. Thank you. Don't donate don't to my tax bill. Or even if you give them the money to pay the tax bill, it just gets, it gets, it gets it's very, very difficult to, to get real value. For me, it's it's the it's the asset protection and the ability to choose in certain so if you if you were a, a couple for example and one of you isn't working the other one is great opportunity and you're likely not to continue to keep working if one was going to retire much earlier than the other th- those things start to be useful I suppose can I just um, add, add on that quickly please, yeah. though well, why I sort of say it hasn't been particularly beneficial for us because we could have just made certain choices within the names that yeah. we chose when we bought yes, the exactly. shares which would have had the same effect really it's sort of it doesn't give yeah. you the flexibility at the time of distribution though yes so if yes. unexpected circumstances change you can't go oops exactly andrew gets more this time and the other time his wife gets more it's just yes that, that's, that's true yes um yeah broke, I, I, broke your chain of, of thought there yeah no no in terms of in terms of downsides uh there aren't many other than cost the other thing just to be mindful of is you have to distribute the income every year you can't retain the income in the trust so you don't get a choice of timing you just get a choice of recipient 
generally speaking. Again, there are probably other tax rules you can do. You can also combine companies and trusts and all sorts of stuff. A company can be the trustee of the trust and the trust can own a company. It, it gets very messy very quickly. Uh, but just, just kind of bear that in mind. The company can be a, the beneficiary of a trust. There's a whole lot of things that can happen. Um, so that that's when you want to go and talk to your accountant on, on yeah. that one. You just want to make sure the benefits actually outweigh the costs by significant amounts. Given the yearly cost of it, we just talked about keeping fees down, Add, adding, a, adding a whole lot of costs for multiple years. Um, by the way, the other thing is the trust needs to be wound up, which is not going to be an issue for most people. In most states, I think the length is 80 years. Uh, so there is, there, is a, there is a capital gains tax event forced on the trust at some point in most jurisdictions, depending on the setup. And again, to your accountant for that. Um, again, if you're, you know... <laughs> 62, it's not going to be your issue, um, but your beneficiaries, your heirs may have to wind up the trust at some point and then have to liquidate all the assets and pay capital gains tax. That's just a thing. Yeah. Is that a big deal? Probably not if it's big enough and it's their problem, not yours, but just be mindful of that as well. Yeah, I see accounting too about the pros and cons of putting it under a um, company structure. There's all yeah. kinds of options that are out there. Yeah. I mean, this, this, this is why, this is why, um, it's what accountants do, right? This is mm-hmm. where, where I think, and this is with, with all due respect, I sort of say this is don't ask your accountant what shares to buy. And, you know, it's just it's in the same way that you shouldn't ask us too much on taxation advice. Yeah, exactly. It, yeah. We we'll give you the broad brush strokes, but we're not going to be able to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I, and, and, and that's, that's being very general and, and maybe yeah. a little bit unfair, but it's not the service that you're providing is I need, I need a guide through this labyrinthine, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm you know, tax code. (laughs) And I just want some, I just want to do things sensibly in a cost effective Mm. way. What's the best, what are the options, pros and cons for each? What are you, what are your uh, personal recommendations? But always, Mm. always, always make that decision yourself. I I think they would be just so invaluable to really arm you with the right considerations and they're worth every cent that that you pay to them for that service. It's a really good one because it's, it's a nightmare out there in terms of what's, what's possible and how you go about. And and it's why I think accountants are, um, going to be around for a while even if they are yes, run by AIs. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, it, is, it is worth look keep the keep the barber and haircut thing in mind absolutely also keep in mind the fact that you know there's a, there's a lot of group think in any industry frankly ram and i are unusual although maybe he and i separate our own group think but uh, we're not like most investors but most investors will tell you you must have some money in resources because the resource sector is big in australia mm-hmm. do you is that the reason why yeah of course it is really why um, um, uh, breaks down very quickly but group think is real um, just keep that in mind Again, if the, even the accountants with the best intentions will have a, 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 an element of group think and they're also generally pretty conservative unless you find a you know Rene Rifkin high flyer accountant um, that's an old reference people who are older than, than us um, you know that they will probably say well just in case maybe do this that's compl- it's a great advice just be mindful of whether it is appropriate for you right is it you know have a trust because if someone sues you you've got that protected okay what are the chance of being sued? And what are the costs of that protection? And then you've got to make your decision and, and so on and so forth. Yeah. I, I had a, a experience where I don't use them anymore. Um, <laughs> reasons that'll become apparent, but <laughs> when saw them and just sort of saying, listen, I just want to, I've just time to get serious about some of this stuff. This is ages ago. You know, you start earning mm-hmm. a bit of an income and building up some savings and the rest of it. And this guy pushed so hard towards a negatively geared investment property structure. <laughs> No, and 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 like so hard, and I just like okay, well, you know what? Believe it or not, I'm open to it, but mm. but, but but wait a second, I'm losing money each year. Mm. Oh yeah, 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 but you pay less tax. Yeah, but I'm losing money. Oh, don't worry, you'll make it up on the end. Now, as it <laughs> ironies, <laughs> I should have taken that advice because yeah. as the way history unfolded, it's actually that was brilliant because the the, the capital gains were so so substantial. But I, yeah. I but it, it's a great example of how the investment. 
advice crept into that because he was coming at it from a tax minimization sort of standpoint. But the crux of the whole argument did rest on significant long-term capital gains on, on the property. So it turned out that that was right. That was a good, as it, as it played out, that was a good bet. But let's not forget for what it was. I said before, just you come look at the outcome and then judge the, the merits of the idea mm -hmm. at, a, at a particular point in time. So yeah, it's, it's why I sort of say, you know, if couched in any advice, there'll sometimes be sort of certain investing beliefs, ideologies that creep into that. And so some of the accountant, I don't think he was, thought he was making any investment advice, just like, hey, you can do this and you can save some tax. But, but what he couldn't answer and what I really pressed that. him yeah, on was, yeah, but yeah. what if property doesn't go up? I mean, he looked at me like I just said I'm from Mars, right? So he couldn't wrap his head around it. And again, he was probably right to sort of say that at the time, to think that at the, at the time. But just be, be mindful of that. Certain prejudices will be br brought to bear when, when giving yeah. taxation advice. Great example. Hey, yeah, my one from Luke. G'day, Scott and Ram. I've got one for the mailbag, says Luke. Exclamation mark. My name is Luke, we know, and I've been a long-time listener and fan of you guys on the podcast machine. Ram, they like the podcast machine, I'm telling you. <laughs> my people. I'd love to have your insights on a quote I heard recently. You can have anything you want in this life, but you can't have everything. Decide. I'll read that again. You can have anything you want in life, but you can't have everything. My own current juggle is wanting a bit of acreage on the outskirts of Sydney where I can renovate a family home, buying a late model four-wheel drive Toyota that's practical and reliable and creating a large enough investment portfolio that we can replace our incomes with. So I think that's the, the combination. So it is and, but I think he means versus. How do you guys choose and put weightings on the different wants in your lives? For the benefit of listeners and myself, could you please share some stories of the trade-offs you and your families have made so far? All the best and keep up the great work. That's what a great me. question. That is awesome. I'll, I'll, I'll swing first in this one, mate. Yeah. I've, I've thrown you in the deep end a couple of times and you can, you can jump in. Go, go for it. Um, this, is a, this is a perfect question, Luke. And it's, I will give you, a, I'll give you a quick plug. Um, Aussie Firebug is a, is a uh, investing slash finance blog on the interwebs. And Matt from Aussie Firebug uh, did an interview with me on the Good Oil recently. Uh, the Good Oil podcast, the other one we do have a, have a listen. Uh, just shameless plug there. But it's a really fascinating question because we talk a little bit about this. And it's a really, really important one, Luke. My, we've for a long time, let me go back half a step. When you're on a decent wicket, it's an easier decision and conversation to have. There are people for whom these choices aren't choices because they don't have the incomes to make those choices. So I want to start by saying I'm very, very fortunate that I have been able to choose some of those things. There are people that I know, people that will listen to this right now and say, what do you mean I can make a choice? I'm struggling to just keep make ends meet. What, else, what other choices do I have? And that's absolutely true. I think there is something to be said for, uh, there's a great quote, um, the thing about the rat race is even if you win, you're still a rat, <laughs> uh, which, I, which I quite like. It's a bit, a bit unfair, but there is, a, there is a real element of thinking about what is success for you in life, right? Because I, I think the other thing I'd add to that, Luke, is you sort of said, okay, I've got the, the, you know, the, the, the home, the acreage, the, the car, or creating a portfolio. I think the other one is kind of like both or. Um, when you say large enough investment portfolio to replace our incomes with, what income do you need based on what lifestyle choices you make? Now, you can live in some wonderful regional parts of Australia and buy a house for a third of what you'd pay for a CBD house. Now, 
you people are now saying, well, then I can't earn the sort of income I would earn in the city. It's like, yeah, you probably don't need that income because you bought a house that's a third of the price. So now what do you want to do? Well, I can't get a job. Well, maybe not the job you want, but if you get another job and it was satisfying and you have more leisure time and you could buy a house for a third of the price, what would you do? Now, I'm not saying I've done that. I haven't. I, we moved to Barrel, which is in regional Australia, um, not that far from the city. And we pretty much swapped a nice house in Sydney for a nice house with a bit more land in Barrel. We didn't save a lot of money. We didn't make a lot of money, but it was a, it was a well worthwhile trade for us. We could have got, if I convinced my wife, you'll hear this on the podcast, if I could have convinced my wife to move another you know, 40 minutes away and save another half the house price, I would have done a heartbeat. Uh, but you know, we, and to your point about compromises, that was the thing, right? She wanted to be closer. She wanted some shopping and good coffee and people and so, you know, social, whatever. If we moved too far away, she wouldn't have had that. And that's completely fine for us because that's what we wanted to do. So that's my first example of, of having that, making that choice. Um, second one for me is the house and versus the investment portfolio. We made a decision as a family. Oh, mate, it must be, was it when the first time you were around you when you were with the, on the podcast with me? Probably five years ago, maybe longer now. A bit longer. COVID sort of makes weird, mm. life weird. Um, to take some money and rather than invest that money in shares, to actually pay down the mortgage. And that was a very specific decision we made because my wife was more comfortable with having a lower mortgage than a higher, the bigger portfolio. Now, that's not exactly the trade-off you're talking about here, Luke, but it was just straight out, I feel more comfortable with more of the mortgage paid off rather than um, I want to maximize my investment portfolio. Now, would I have done differently? Yeah, personally, if it was just me, yes, I absolutely would have. But it's not just about me. In fact, you know, life is, I, I'm okay, but I love my wife and family more. So I'm happy that, you know, I get to keep them and, and make some good choices. And that's a really easy choice, right? It was mathematically would I have been better off staying invested yeah absolutely and you do the math since right I can show you what that would have done um, but you know are we are we happier more comfortable more, more content yeah absolutely so I think that's that's absolutely uh, something to think I would just encourage our listeners Ram to I don't get all too um, left wing or you know Buddhist meditation or whatever else you want to kind of accuse me of um, but just think about think about what what you actually need from life, what you actually need from your portfolio, how much money you actually need to replace your income, what your needs and wants are. Uh, Matt on the podcast talks about the fact that actually if you choose to just have lower wants, then all of a sudden you don't need to replace as much income. Mm-hmm. And it's not sacrificing stuff. It's just like, you know, what actually, what do, I, what do I need versus what do I have because that's the things I've been taught to need and that's the things my friends have. And so I've aligned my living stands with theirs. I grew up in a house with two old cars, a color TV in the lounge room, a black and white TV in the in the living room. Uh, we had fish and chips once a week on a Friday night. My, my childhood was spectacularly good. Now, I'm not saying we should all go back to that necessarily. I'm just saying the point is you'd be surprised what you can actually, what's, what's actually meaningful and useful and, and satisfying. Uh, social media makes it harder. Keeping up with the Joneses makes it harder. Reality TV makes it harder. I, you know, We were lucky we didn't have all that kind of rubbish to deal with. We had three TV channels, blah, blah, blah. I'm old, I get it. Uh, but you know, just just kind of keep that. And you, I think you are keeping that in mind, Luke. So I can't give you specific advice. Um, what I would say is just think about what trade-offs you can choose to make. Uh, don't necessarily make them if they're not for you. But just remember that replacing your income is not just you know could I replace an income of that I'd need if I lived in Sydney's eastern suburbs or New Farm in Brisbane or Turak in Melbourne, or could I live in regional Victoria or you know, um, at the back of Cooktown or something in Queensland or, you know, the Brossa or, or wherever else you want to live. Um, there are a whole lot of other choices. Maybe you can't. Your job, maybe your job doesn't take you there. I'm very fortunate. I can. Um, have a think about those things. Ram? 
I, it's just such a personal question. I mean, I'm happy to reflect on my own sort of stance, but it's it's one that no one can answer for you. But I, I think the way the question was framed, I just 100% agree. I, that's kind of where I, yeah. my life goal is at, to basically just more or less replace an income. In fact, yes. less than yeah. the income. If I could own a house outright, uh, yeah, I'd probably be happy to live a few outside, hours outside of Sydney so I'm not mm. completely cut off from my little social network. Yeah. Um, if I, I mean, if I owned a nice-ish house sort of outright, and I could generate 50 grand a year, probably job done. I know it sounds not what you might expect, but you know, when, when, when you take away either a rental cost or a mortgage um, servicing cost, mm-hmm. that's a thousand bucks a week, more or less, you know, yeah. but yeah. I just, and this, this is just me. I don't, I don't like fast cars. Well, I like them, I guess, but I don't got no desire to own one. I don't mm-hmm. yacht. I, you know, I like go on holidays every now and again, but I don't need to travel business class around the world trip. And it's just my, my, I figured out a long time ago that the most scarce and valuable commodity in the world is, is time. Right. Mm -hmm. And I've only got so much of it and could, could run out tomorrow as far as I know. Right. So I look at some people in our industry whose business cards are very impressive, whose LinkedIn profiles are amazing, who have probably been earning 300 grand a year plus for 10 years. (laughs) who live in yep. beautiful houses and have cars, but they yes. have aged not well, you know, because yep. They, yep. the company owns them. They work ridiculous hours. They don't know the kids. They're unhealthy as hell. Oh, yeah. No, who's the, who are the kids? Yeah, or the wife or the partner or whoever it happens to be. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. just, it, it, um, and I, I'm not even saying, oh, that's wrong. Look at them. Ha, 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 what a dumb dude. That's yeah. their choice. I and mean, there are a lot yeah. of people that, that find a lot of satisfaction in those, those kinds of careers. But I know, know thyself, right? And I know myself. Mm-hmm. And, and I would happily have a much lower income, but much more flexibility in how I sort of spend my, my time. And yep. frankly, you know, I reckon if I, I don't need to win the 20 million Powerball, if I want a couple million dollars, that's it. I'm out. Mic drop. Yep. <laughs> Done. <laughs> You'll never see me driving past in a Ferrari, but you probably will see me with a big smile on my face and yes. you know, the, the, the years left in my life to pursue it in the most enriching kind of way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Luke, by the way, uh, Toyotas go forever. Don't be scared of buying a 10-year-old one rather than a two-year-old one. You don't need to do that. Um, we have a 2016 Prado and a 2018 Hilux, and they have both fantastic gear cars. One was ex-demo, one was used. Um, they do everything we need them to do. They're great. It's, it's, if, you keep your, if you keep your desires in check, it's amazing what you can do in your life. It really is. Can I add a couple more things? Um, Please, mate. It, uh, Charlie Munger says that you know, greed isn't the worst of the deadly sins. It's, <laughs> it's envy. Envy. Envy is really just so horrible. Because it it, 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 that's the only one of the deadly sins that doesn't make you feel better. It makes you feel worse. Yes. Right? At least, <laughs> at least with gluttony, I get to eat a bunch of ice cream. <laughs> You know, I won't mention the other ones, but there's an upside to them, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, yep, yep. Uh, remember this, the Joneses yep. aren't as rich or as happy as you think they are. And in yes, fact, right. that isn't just something that the poor people say to make themselves feel better. There is a mm-hmm. lot of good clinical research that will show you <laughs> the general levels of happiness, life satisfaction actually don't, sc- they scale extremely well when you're sort of hand to mouth, right? So if you mm-hmm. barely getting by and you're under a huge amount of financial stress and that goes, there's, there's big uplifting quality of life but someone who goes from 1 million to 2 million to 3 million in net worth their actual happiness doesn't doesn't last uh, it, it levels off really really mm-hmm. quickly and it tends to be the same as, as other people so it's all the big whiz- parts of wisdom passed down throughout the ages if you've got your health <laughs> you've got your family you've got your friends mm-hmm. that's really the things that 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 matter the most yeah. um, one another actually just recently I read something which reminded me that what 
you, you, this huge diminishing returns with sort of purchases, vanity purchases, you know, things that make you feel good. Oh, I'm going to splurge a little bit of money on this and go on a bit of, shop, a bit of a shopping spree. Mm. Um, what they found was that infrequent splurges actually bring incredible happiness. So treat yourself, right? Like every now and again, go out and splurge and, and spend your money. It's, yeah. That's what it's yeah. for. Money's a tool, right? And it's like, that's, but when you're doing that every weekend, it's it's a treadmill that you just, it actually brings you no satisfaction. right? When your yeah, body gets used definitely. to a certain level of, uh, of whatever it is, then you need more to make yourself feel better again. It's, it's a, a drug like any other drug. Yeah. Once you get used to a certain level of it, you need more for the hit. And the, the, other, the other bit of study, which is really um, interesting, is that the value at a, once you get above that subsistence point in mm. a lot of these sort of trappings of wealth, when you boil it down, we always like mm. to think we're, we're very sophisticated kind of intelligent <laughs> creatures. We're just, you know, we're, yep. we're, we're half a percent different from a, from a chimp, right? And, and one of the things that you need to know about humans is that social status is extraordinarily important to us. <laughs> and everyone goes, oh, it's not important to me. I go my own way. You know, rebel without a call. Like, no, you're not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's massively important. And, and that is... That it's actually for very good reasons because if you were shunned by your society, you'd be kicked out mm. of the village and you'd probably die very quickly. So we we are yeah. we are hard coded to fit in and to signal to other people sort of how happy and, and whatever we are. And it's it's just a nonsense when you think about it. Don't be trapped in it. You know, I don't I don't have any desire to. I don't I don't think there are too many people who sit on their deathbed and go, wow, that number in my bank mm. account is so good. Yeah, that's right. No one does it. Yeah, no yeah. one does it. So, you know, we all know this to be true in our heart of hearts. So it's just worth, bears repeating and, and just reminding ourselves, actually backed by a lot of good science that sort of shows that these age-old wisdoms are true. Yep, 100%, mate. I think it's, um, it, 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 it's, and it's not easy too. And it's, you know, talk about social proof. Part of it is like, what if, what if I go and do this thing it doesn't work out? The answer is, well, then do something else. But, you know, to, to opt, opt out, even weirdly enough, the the mental toughness or whatever it is that, that requires you actually opt out of the rat race because that's what everyone else is doing, it's really, really hard. Mm. Everyone else is doing this thing and therefore it's right. If I don't do that thing, frankly, you'll get some grief from people who don't like you're doing something different to them because frankly, either they're, they're, they're jealous of it or, or, or whatever. You know, why would you go and do that thing? Because well, I'm happy doing that thing. Well, but you'll miss this. And I'm, I'm not doing that thing, so I I can't validate your decision because it's different to mine. I've got to validate my own decision by making you know, by by assuming people need to be like me. Those, those very things are, are really really challenging for humans to 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 deal with. Um, I will I, I'll give a wrap. Check out the Aussie Firebug blog. Um, no 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 money changing hands. Nothing involved in it. Matt's a nice guy, a really smart guy. As we were talking about, uh, he does a particular thing in life. He's been doing it for years. Um, but it's actually a lot of the community there is is exactly that. It's just it's just the the kind of psychological, mental, whatever, emotional parts of stepping away from that stuff and really reconsidering. Actually, wouldn't I be just happy doing X, Y, and Z? I mean, if it was up to me, mate. I'd be on 100 acres, an hour and a half away from here. It'd cost me a fifth of my house, and I'd be in a tin shed. And be more than more yeah, than me happy, too. Right? Me too. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately. No, I can't convince my better either. Yeah, yeah. And, and probably and probably fair enough too. But yeah, yeah. then look at better. I think right? that's the, the issue yeah. with 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 um. Well, I shouldn't I shouldn't 
sort of gender it, but I think with the fairer sex, it's, they're, they're probably right. They're much more interested in social connections where I think there's yes. guys at a certain point you think, who needs society? <laughs> I'd mean, I, I be more than happy 100 miles away on my little plot of land just tinkering about. Correct, correct. And there's probably, there's probably something to that as well. Hey, mate, let's finish off with a really, really quick one uh, from Tim who says, good morning, fools. And he says in brackets, schools and drools. I guess that's our new... I'm not sure that'll catch on, Tim. Let's see how you go. What is the best ETF exposure for Australian shares, considering the Vanguard ASX 300 is so concentrated in two industries, brackets banking and mining? In your opinion, would it be better to choose an equal weight ETF or maybe just a global market cap fund, which includes Australia, in brackets, just, comma, uh, thanks from the anti-VASA. Gee, I've got to pronounce that carefully, Tim. We'll get, uh, get us all in trouble. Mm-hmm. Anti-VAS. Yes, uh, VAS being the uh, the code for the ASX uh, Vanguard 300 ETF. Um, best ETF for Australian shares. Ram, go. Uh, well, uh, yeah, I think VAS. <laughs> I mean, want to. I don't. I don't say. It, I don't say it with super high conviction. I've got a very small yeah. amount of my wealth there. I think through a bit of super or something like that. I mean, I'm very mindful of the concentration in 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 yeah. that. And I'm pretty anti-banks at the moment, so you know I, I I'm not I'm not going to be buying it anytime soon. But mm. I think if you want an answer that is evergreen, yep. um, you you go with that because uh, it, it is. I mean, this, come back to first principles. We want the average. That mm. it just, for better or worse, that's the average of the ASX market yeah, because that's the way yeah, it's built up. Right. And 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 the other things you can do as well. It, you, I think you're going to count for that. You can sort of say, well, I'll buy VAS, but I'll also make a selection of investments over here that'll help diversify that 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 risk yeah. away to some extent but yeah it's a really um, good point that it that is made it is i so my, my general thoughts on this very quickly i have units in the vas here's the thing etfs balance themselves out over time now it doesn't mean you want to necessarily buy something that's going to go down but if you'd owned an s&p 500 etf 25 years ago you would have had general electric nike general motors and whatever else um and that would be you know over time They've gone away and the Amazons, Facebooks, I own Amazon, uh, Apple, trying to think of things that I don't own, NVIDIA, uh, Tesla, Netflix, if I haven't said that already, they, they rise. And so to some degree, ETFs are, you know, they balance themselves out. It's a lot of banks right now. Honestly, if the banks sucked, the ETF would suck for a while. So I'm not saying it doesn't matter. But at some point, you know, it, they kind of find their own balance almost by definition. It's one of the beauties of them. Uh, they're not self-balancing in that sense, re-weighting, but they just you end up with the biggest companies being the biggest shares and the market itself has done really well over time despite those changes in, in structures. Um, so there's that. I own shares in the Vanguard Global ETF, which does, as you say, Tim, have that combination of global and local. I like I own both. I'd probably say some sort of combination of both is probably what I would do. You said just Australian shares. So given you asked that, then you asked, you kind of respond to the global solution. Um, but yeah, if I, if I was building an ETF portfolio, I think a combination of, I own VS, I own VGS as the global one. I think they're both great ETFs and in, in some combination that would get you f- a very long way towards super long-term results. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't do an equal weight ETF because they rebalance every quarter. I think we actually did this one in an upcoming mm. episode or one that's been on, I can't remember which order we're in now. Yep. Maybe one in the past. Because um, they rebalance, I don't, I, I like the idea of equal weight, but it kind of, it's hard to maintain equal weight over time. You're buying it now and then never reweighting it loses out because you miss out companies that come into the index or you hold companies that leave, so that's bad. But if you reweight it all the time, you don't get the compound growth of those who start small and then grow big. So you're kind of condemning yourself to always getting that. It doesn't mean it can't, it can't outperform. Just it just it's, its structure makes it a little bit more difficult to to own 
for a super long-term investor on a on a passive on a purely passive basis it's gets a bit tough so yeah i would i would combine the two any more on that mate no answered well beautiful well i think we've got one more week of pre-recorded episodes and then we'll be back. But make sure you do tune in next week and make sure you fill up the mailbag for us. You know the details. I'm not going to share them with you again. You get it. Uh, we hope you're having a great July thus far. And until next Friday, full on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.